Live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Josh Hedick filling in for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN along with Hunter Brody. We'll get back to your text in just a bit. A lot of basketball to get to this hour. Joining us every Tuesday at this time, the big man on campus, Jeff Nadu. Also, big man on basketball, the podcast. Talking college basketball and the NBA. Lots of to get to with Jeff as we do each and every Tuesday at this time. And as all guests, he appears on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline at Jeff Nadu on Twitter. Jeff, how you doing on this Tuesday? Doing good. How are you guys? Doing pretty good. So before we get to any of like the specific odds and stuff, one of my big questions I had from you, because you're doing an incredible job with the Big Man on Basketball podcast, I want to know from you, you know, a few weeks into the season now, has there been anything that's really stood out to you with the college basketball games, the teams, or anything that really has maybe surprised you or maybe made you kind of like raise your eyebrow a little bit? Yeah, I, I would say uh, the shooting. Uh, if you look at, when you're looking at teams, when you're looking at three-point shooting, I mean, it is really down around college basketball. Really, you know, you, I kind of rank a team, if they shoot 35% or better, uh, that's something that I kind of, you know, I would consider you a good three-point shooting team. I mean, you know, to be honest with you guys, there's just not a lot of teams doing that. I mean, just everywhere you look, I mean, teams just can't shoot the basketball uh, and I think that has a lot to just do with the overall optics and the fact that there's no fans and all that sort of thing. But uh, that, that's something that I've noticed. I mean, there's a lot of teams uh, that, that aren't shooting. The, I'm talking about like 200 teams that aren't shooting the ball over 35%. Uh, so yeah, that's something that definitely stuck out to me is just the lack of, of long-distance shooting. Yeah, it's definitely pretty wild, and I just want to throw this out there. About a year or two ago, it's funny how this goes full circle, I actually found you on YouTube just doing your standard standard college basketball picks on the YouTube channel, and I was following you since then, and then I land this job, and it's just crazy how everything comes together. But I've been following you for a bit, love your college basketball takes. You put up a periscope today, actually, of some Tuesday matchups, so I'll leave it open-ended. What do you like about today? I appreciate the kind words, man. Yeah, you know, I get people all the time. Yeah, I used to see you here. I used to see you there. So, yeah, I'm glad to see that I have uh, – glad to say I have a few fans out there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, as far as the, the card today, um, yeah, there's a lot of good good spots out there. I, I think tonight is, is kind of a bounce-back effort for a lot of teams. Uh, you look at naming – namely, you know, two of the bigger games on the card. You, know, you look at a team like Virginia Tech. Uh, they're off a 20-point loss to Penn State, a game that – they just didn't score the basketball, and it was just one of those games where you just didn't play real well. First loss of the season. I expect a nice bounce-back effort here uh, against a team in Clemson that is playing really well. They're 5-0, and 5-0 and against the number. A lot of people starting to buy into Clemson, but I have some worries. This is a team that I think will struggle to score the basketball this year. They turn the ball over a lot. They don't really organically score. And what I mean by organically score, they don't get to the foul line. They make a lot of mistakes. They're not a good shooting team. Um, they don't steal the basketball and, and, and use transition opportunities. So yeah, I think this is a good spot. The, the sharp gamblers, people that are out there that know what they're doing, a lot of people like Virginia Tech tonight. It's a good spot. It's a spot that I look for. Kind of fade in what I think a lot of people are going to look at and kind of go the other way. I think you see a good bounce back effort from them tonight. I also look at Illinois and Minnesota, and I see a team in Illinois that, you know, didn't play well the other night against Missouri and still had a shot to win the game on last shot. Uh, this is a team that, you know, 
missed a lot of free throws. You know, they've had a bad flagrant foul call late in the game that really kind of changed the outcome. I expect a bounce-back effort from them tonight. You look at first game in conference play, they're at home, and they get Minnesota, who, guys, has not played anybody. I mean, this team has beaten up on a lot of bad teams. Uh, the only good team they faced, Boston College, they beat in overtime, uh, gave up 80 in that game. Uh, Illinois is a much better team than Boston College. I think Illinois takes some frustration out tonight uh, on the Minnesota Golden Gophers. And then we started getting closer and closer to the full conference schedules for a lot of these teams. And I know I know you talk a lot about the different lines, the different things on the podcast. I don't want to give away too much what's on the pod, but I do want to ask you your opinion about this whole thing with Mike Shashevsky and Duke, this whole thing where he's like, you know, they canceled the out-of-conference games, the Alabama coach calling them out. What is your perspective on all that? I think it's weak. I mean, he's weak. He's been weak for a long time. Uh, that's his M.O. anymore, making excuses about why he can and can't do things. Look, the truth of the matter is, and, and I, I might make make an enemy or two by saying this, but you know, over the last 15 years, Mike Krzyzewski has been one of the most overrated coaches in the country. It's just that simple. The talent he's gotten, uh, the, the limited abilities of certain teams that he's had that he hasn't been able to coach, on the court, he's not a terrific coach. He doesn't do anything that, that's any different from anyone else. Uh, he's luckily always gets really good players, and that's a lot to do with coaching. But I think it's weak. Uh, if he were 4-0 or 5-0 and and he didn't almost lose the top in state and got beat up by Illinois, if those that thing didn't happen, uh, you wouldn't have heard from Mike Krzyzewski. Mike Krzyzewski is all about himself. He doesn't care about the players. He doesn't care about anyone. He cares about winning. Um, this whole excuse that we can't play, uh, it's because he's not play- he's not coaching well and they're not playing well. That's the only reason he said it. Just to follow up with it, do you think that maybe his time with USA Basketball has maybe diluted him and maybe made him a little bit a little big for his own head? Of course. Uh, he's luckily, look, when you get the best players every year, uh, it's not, you know, and when you kind of get the benefit of the doubt. I mean, you, know, you look at case in point, a guy like Dick Vitale, who's a big mouthpiece in this business, uh, that's his boy. Uh, you know, in his eyes, you know, coach can't do anything wrong. But, you know, Mike Krzyzewski's done the same things everyone else does. Uh, he's just on a platform and has the USA Basketball Connections and has kind of the big way connections and nothing really happens. But the truth of the matter is uh, he struck out a lot lately. And he's had some championship teams, but he should have a lot more to show for it uh, from what he has. He's a complainer at this point. He makes excuses. And, uh, yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with his success for sure. I want to get your thoughts on Luca Garza to this point. This guy's unbelievable. Must watch television. Seriously, every time I know Iowa's on, I gotta tune in to watch the kid play. So, you know, what do you what do you think about the kid so far this season? He's averaging almost thirty points per game. Yeah, he's been very good. Uh, you know, you never take away nothing that Luca's done so far. Um, you know, I, I don't want to do this, but look, I speak in realistic fact. The kid's terrific. I'll never tell you he's not, but you know, the level of competition has been laughable. I mean, he doesn't. they don't play anybody. I mean, for anyone who wants to call out North Carolina, okay, that was a good performance. But if you go back to that game, uh, Luka didn't actually play that well. Uh, they made 17 threes, and that's why they won by 13. Um, if you look at his box score, it wasn't anything impressive. Uh, look at every other game he's played. It's been against absolute nobodies. Uh, it's, it's laughable how bad defensively Southern is. West Illinois, I mean, they're playing with 11 new players and a brand new coach. Uh, you know, Northern Illinois is one of the worst uh, teams in the country. Iowa State, they're the worst Big 12 team in the country. I'm not going to knock Luca Garza. He's a very good player. But 
You know, I'll, look, if he dominates Gonzaga, I'll be the guy to tell you I, I didn't tell you he would. Uh, I, I don't think he will. Uh, I've had people in my inbox calling me names all week because I don't think he's a first-round talent. He isn't. Uh, he's a guy that will likely not get drafted, and that's because his game translates to college, but it does not translate to the next level. And like I said, I'll give him a lot of respect. He's a terrific player, but um, the, the level of competition he's faced is uh, poor. Jeff Nadu joining us on the Boardwalk on the Hotline. Big man on campus. Don't forget, subscribe, download the Big Man on Basketball podcast and your Monday podcast. At the end, you had those NBA futures, Jeff. You got me a little juiced for the NBA season. I want to get some of your thoughts on some of these. You mentioned on the podcast that you believe the Heat are the best team in the Eastern Conference. I thought that was interesting because I feel like a lot of people people are salivating over the Nets, even though we still haven't seen them play yet. You know, Giannis still hasn't even gotten to the conference out of the conference finals to the NBA finals. But this Miami Heat team, what is it you like so much about them? I just look at them and I don't see many flaws. I think that defensively they're very good. Now, I will say one of the knocks I had was not being able to retain Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder is a very good defender. Uh, we'll see if, you know, a guy like Iguodala could be that. But Jimmy Butler, we know he can defend. They bring in Avery Bradley. I just look at what they have. They have the great coach. They have a star. Adebayo is turning into a star himself. Same with Tyler Hero. Um, I, I trust them at the point guard position with Drogic. Um, and look, as I said, if you can spot a flaw on this team, I'd like to hear it. When you look at Brooklyn, I think they're right there as well. The problem that I think you have with Brooklyn is, you know, there's only one basketball. Hopefully they can kind of get that all figured out by the end and everything's good. If they can play defense like they played the last two years, everything's going to be fine. But here's the issue Brooklyn has. Their point guard is a complete lunatic. It's just that simple. Uh, everywhere he goes, it is an issue. Something happens with this guy. There's always some sort of ego with uh, Kyrie Irving. Uh, you know, Kevin Durant's not exactly the uh, most stable guy off the court either at times with some of the things he does. Uh, still the best scorer in the NBA and a guy that uh, is very good, but, you know, he's been injury-ridden as well. So I worry a little bit there. Is there too many kind of egos on one team? And I don't know if they really have a coach with a strong personality that can kind of uh, diffuse those sorts of situations. So, you know, I, I think the East is obviously really good. Um, for me, it's very simple. The teams that can actually win this conference are the Heat, the Nets, the Raptors, the Celtics, the Bucks. That's it. Well, you left one out there, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers. So you claim fifth or sixth seed or so. Why do you think that? I mean, tell me I'm wrong. I mean, I'd like to hear where – and I'm not saying you think I'm wrong. I'm no, just I got saying, you. Like, I understand. All these – all these, all the fans that are out there, I, I know that when you're a fan, you have to become this delusional being where you agree with everything they do. Look, the truth of the matter is they don't do a lot of things well. Okay, Look at this team, and let's really be honest with ourselves. Ben Simmons and Embiid cannot play together. Just because you get another coach. To say you don't care that he can't shoot is laughable. I mean, that is the dumbest thing I've heard. They really don't have a point guard outside of Simmons, and if they play him in another position, who's the point guard in this team? Danny Green's coming off the worst season of his career. He's getting up there in age. Seth Curry only plays about 25 minutes. He's definitely a, a good player, but I'll be real. I mean, losing Josh Richardson hurts defensively. He's a defensive player. That's about it. Tobias Harris is the worst contract in the history of this team. Uh, and is not a Mac deal type of guy. And you have a guy in Joel Embiid who not once, not twice, not three times, but four different times has failed to deliver when it matters most. 
there's just not a lot to like here. And if you could actually make a, com- a competitive argument that they're better than the teams I mentioned, I'd like to hear it. Until then, um, I think they're no better than they were. And I don't mean to be like, I don't mean to be negative, but if I said anything wrong, I'd like to hear it. No, I, I agree with you completely. The way I view it is, it makes more sense from a a spacing standpoint, so it will be more entertaining than last year. But when I look at this roster and I look at sure. everybody from top to bottom, you're still missing something when it comes to legitimately going to win a title. So I think it'll be more entertaining because on paper, at least, it makes more sense. But I don't think that they can compete for an actual championship either. And and that's the that's the problem you have. You made a very good point. We still have the same question. Who takes a shot at the end of the game on this team? I, I, I mean, I, I guess they're hoping, like, Maxi works out. And, and look, Maxi could work out. He's kind of that water bug kind of player that, that can kind of drop 20 on you quickly. I guess they're hoping he's like a Lou Williams type of player. But, I mean, you're putting a lot of stock in a player that was very inconsistent at Kentucky. So I, I agree with your points there. But there's still not a player on this team that can go get you a bucket. And you're putting a lot of stock in two guys that can't play together and are, are generally injured. Jeff Nadu, big man on campus, Barstool Sports. Don't forget to check out the Big Man on Basketball podcast. Subscribe, download. Jeff, before we let you go, I'd be remiss if I didn't get your early thoughts on the college football slate. First of all, Week 16 is turning out to be the most ridiculous thing in the world now that the Big Ten has already had two of their games this week yanked off the schedule because of COVID protocols. Do you have any early thoughts on some of the games for college football this weekend? Yeah, you know, I told Mike, and, and I'll kind of tell you guys the same thing. I mean, I'm I'm definitely I've definitely pulled back on how much I'm betting. I'm not a high volume guy as it is. One game that I do like though, uh, Boise State, San Jose State. Uh, I'm pretty high on this total. I actually bet it a couple of weeks ago, and it got canceled the day of. But uh, they're back on the schedule this week. I don't believe in San Jose State's defense. I, I don't. I know they're ranked high, and they played really well. Uh, but this is a different style of passing attack that you're going to deal with. Boise State is very good through the air. They've got plenty of weapons. I think they're going to test the defense, and I think Jose's going to break here sooner or later. Uh, you know, when you look at Boise, they, I don't know that they're real good in the secondary either. Nick Starkle's actually played very well for San Jose. And look, shout out, shout out to the Spartans. They're 6-0. and A lot of people don't really see that. Uh, Brett Brennan's done a great job out there with San Jose State. They all both these teams have weapons, and one thing I love about these two teams, guys, they have both electric returners. These guys get in the right spot. They give you good field position. Shamar Garrett for San Jose State's terrific. He had a touchdown last year, last week. Uh, there's guys all over the place that can, that can create field position, kind of change the the, the thought on a total. Your total sometimes you need something quick to happen, and if you can get one in this game, the total is only fifty four and a half. I would obviously check your weather situation, but uh, if you get a clear bill of health on the weather, uh, this actually might be a pretty large play for me. I'm I, um, responsibly, I like this play. You get more from Jeff. Make sure you check out the Big Man on Basketball podcast. And Jeff will be back with Mike Gill for Saturday's Sports Bash Best of Hour. They open up the Best of Hour each and every Saturday. They run down the whole college basketball, college football slate that day. Also, follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Nadu. As all guests, he appeared on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Jeff, appreciate the time, man. Thanks, guys. You did great. Love talking to you. Appreciate it. 
Always great stuff from Jeff. And you got to follow him on Twitter at Jeff Nadu because he's always dropping pics on there. The Periscope videos you mentioned, always dropping knowledge on there. It's almost like you get you can pair the Twitter with the podcast. So, like, you get the podcast, but you got to monitor the Twitter because you get the breaking updates on there as well. Not only that, he does hilarious reactionary stuff as well, whether it's, you know, Sixers or Eagles. If something happens during the game and he's not happy about it, he'll let you know. Absolutely. Three o'clock hour of the Sports Bash being brought to you by One Stop Car Audio. It's the 12 days remote start now through Christmas Eve at One Stop Car Audio across from TD Bank on Route 9 in beautiful Northfield. We'll get more Sixers basketball conversation coming up at 3.30 with Jason Blevins from 97.3 ESPN.com right here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN FM and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City. 97.3 ESPN. Josh Henning along with Hunter Birdie. I'm filling in for Mike Gill. Broge is here every day but Thursday this week. Get another day off on Thursday. Yeah, I don't know what to do with myself, although I have a lot of grown-up things to do now. So I, I planned How, out my week. Homeowner. DMV type stuff. You know what I mean? Fiance. Yeah. Car. Yep, got to set up some things in the house. So these days off, they used to be fun. Now it's, I got other work to do. Well, you used to have school. Now you're done with school, right? Yeah. Finally so, went back. I'm old. Got the degree a little older in life, but I did go back to grab it. it, it, it I had to do it. Yeah. I had to do it. Now, what I really want to know real quick, before we do anything else, I just thought of this. So, for those who didn't see the picture, I did a picture of you and Ricky Rubio side by side. And the, everyone tells me that I'm seeing, I'm seeing it. They're seeing what I'm seeing. So the question is, how long are you going to let it get long? So, it's With funny. The hair. You know me because when I first came here as a short-haired guy. But this is a lifestyle that I live for, I mean, this is me. I mean, Flozy O'Donnell used to be my nickname. That, that was big. Flozy. So I think I'm just going to let it rock right now. I don't know. It can go shoulder length. It could go longer. But I rock the half up, half down samurai. I'm all for it. It's been a while since it got to this degree. So I'm embracing it. And I'm just appreciating it. That I can even do it. Now, the thing is, this is the longest my hair has been in a while. I think you keep letting it go. But I'm not comfortable with it this long. No, no, no. I think it, you need to get... I want your nickname to be Flozy. See, I could see you in a samurai half up, half down look. The, the problem with my hair is is that it doesn't really have a direction. Like, your hair kind of, like, settles. You know why, though? I trained it this way. There was a time where it wasn't, but I committed to the lifestyle, and now it naturally goes this way. I'm telling you, we can work on this together, Josh. I'm here for you. Listen, my hair looks like Wolverine stuck his claws in an electrical socket, okay? That's what it looks like in the morning. Well, in the, you want to see what mine looks like in the morning. That's a different conversation than what you're seeing right now. Like, even right now, I think it looks like, like, this is, like, ridiculous up here. Well, let it go. Let's see what happens. It doesn't hurt. I'm going to let it, so here's my theory. And you let me know what you think of this. Because now, I'm I'm the single one in, in this building, okay? You got a fiancé, Gil's got the long, the long-term, you know, girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. I'm the single guy, right? My theory is I let my hair grow until I can't stand it anymore. But hold on a second. I think maybe the hair is the piece needed. You know? If you get the hair, then the women, oh, I want to put my hands through the hair. Oh, we're watching a movie. You're watching Marvel movies. She's going for the back of the head hair play, and boom! Next thing you know, maybe you're not watching the movie anymore, but, you know, you're having a good time. I think it's the hair, Josh. Let's at least try it. 
That's all. Can't hurt to try. You're speechless. You got nothing for me. How about this? I'll tell you what you got. You got a great way to make some money with DraftKings. You got college hoops, college football, NFL action, NBA action, all these odds and promotions available on DraftKings Sports. But make sure you download the app right now. Use promo code 973 when you sign up. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only, gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So we'll get to more Sixers coming up with Blevins in just a bit. But I want to follow up what Nadu was talking about with the Sixers. Yes, please do. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the deal with the Sixers. What Nadu, I'm not denying what Jeff said about the Sixers being a fifth or sixth seed. The only reason why I think they're a little higher than that, because the one thing I think Jeff is overlooking is that you can be a high seed in the regular season, but go nowhere in the postseason. I think right now the Sixers are built as a regular season team, but not a playoff team. So, for example, the Miami Heat, they were like the the fifth seed last year. Yes. But they were built for the playoffs. That team was not built for the regular season. Remember, Iguodala missed half the year last year. He was holding out with Memphis. I hate Then he got traded to Miami, and he still wasn't in basketball shape, they said. So, I can see the Sixers getting the third or fourth seed. But I'm not saying they're going to go anywhere in the postseason per se because, to me, I think the Nets are going to struggle coming out of the gate. I think there's too much chaos over there. I think the only team I'm really sure about is the Heat and the Bucks in the Eastern Conference. The Hawks, how long does it take them to blend? The Raptors, no Serge Ibaka. What does that look like on the basketball court? The Pacers, new head coach. I don't know what that team is. Boston, no Gordon Hayward. What does that look like? You heard Jeff mention... As well about Boston, like they have a lot of guards right now, right? So I'm not sold on the rest of the teams as much as I know at least the Sixers. If Doc Rivers wants to play defense, that can get you a three seed. It might not get you an NBA championship this year, but it can get you a three seed. I don't know if I'm as high on the three seed. I'm somewhere in between the six and three mold. That's where I'm at. Like, so I don't, four. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's going to be six. I don't think it's going to be as high as three. Probably more in that four or five range. The only thing I disagree with Jeff with is he brought up the whole Ben and Joel duo, and, and he's been out on that combination for a little bit of time. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not there yet where I'm ready to move on from these two together. I want to see what it looks like with Doc Rivers. I want to see what a pick-and-roll game looks like. And I'm not getting sucked into this Sam Cassell conversation about Ben Simmons taking jump shots. But one of these days, I hate how slow it's taking, but there's no denying that Ben Simmons is getting more comfortable with an outside shot. It's not to the speed that I want it to be, but he's clearly getting better at it, and I just wonder, will there ever be a time that it clicks? I'm more of a prove it to me, show me. I've been fooled too many times before, but at the same time, I have been realizing that he can hit that corner three. He is getting in more of a groove, so I'm not ready to give up on that duo yet. I want to see what it looks like in the pick and roll game, and is Ben willing to take 10 footers only time will tell we'll get more on the Sixers coming up next on the sports back with Jason Blevins 97.3 ESPN.com Sixers beat writer will get him he'll be at the game tonight what is he looking for from the team tonight we'll get into all that coming up next here on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City it's Sixers basketball tonight on 97.3 ESPN with the voice of the 76ers, Tom McGinnis, calling all the exciting play by
Welcome back into the Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN. 3 o'clock hour being brought to you by GMS Law. Make the right call with four convenient locations to serve you. Visit them online at gmslaw.com. I'm Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Yell along with Hunter Brody here on 97.3 ESPN. 973ESPN.com, the 973ESPN mobile app, where you can find Jason Blavin's latest piece about Mike Scott. Interesting insights about Mike Scott. Better check it out for tonight's game, 7.30. The action starts right here on 973ESPN. Tom McGinnis on the call, and Jason Blevins will be in the house tonight covering the Sixers' first game back in the house. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Doing good. So... It feels almost surreal that the NBA season is getting started back up. We're finally getting basketball again. It's a little later than usual, but there's a lot of expectation and juice, I feel like, for this Sixers team because you got a new head coach, you got a new cast of characters around Ben and Joel. What is maybe like a storyline or something going on with this team that has stood out to you the most over the last few weeks? Well, I think that the um, the mantra since Ben Simmons has been drafted has been surrounded with shooters, and I really think Daryl Morey has done that. So, I think you're going to see uh, an array of of guys that can space the floor, um, and a lot of positive cops about those guys unprompted during our Zoom calls. You know, guys like Dwight Howard, vets, Danny Green start bringing up names like Shake Milton, like for Concord Maz. And then you have Seth Curry, you have uh, Danny Green. You're going to have the ability to have one or two really, um, really dangerous weapons from beyond the arc on the floor at all times. And I think that's the biggest change from what we saw from this team in the bubble. What do you, When you look at what's been happening with James Harden in Houston, I just want to get your thoughts. I know that there's been some rumored around maybe three first-rounders and Ben Simmons, which is clearly too high. But do you get a sense, because it's the sense that I get, but do you get a sense that they want to see what they have in Ben and Joel before they make any sort of moves? Doc Rivers came here before Daryl Morey, and he came here knowing that he would have these two stars. So is Daryl Morey kind of feeling like, hey, Doc was here, he wanted to run at this thing before I maybe go out on a crazy trade? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think, you know, James Harden has a lot more um, leverage in this situation than I think people think. I think a lot of people go on a trade machine or they go on NBA 2K and they start to do these trades uh, and think about fair value. But in reality, when a star wants to, to leave, uh, there's so many different pressure points they can put on an organization that the Sixers really have no reason to overpay or or uh, hurry at this point. Now, does Brooklyn swoop in? Uh, maybe. Does another team come out of nowhere, uh, you know, like Miami? Maybe. But I think the Sixers really want to take a couple of months and with uh, – new weapons surrounding the two stars and what seems to be some uh, improved acknowledgement between the two stars that they really need to uh, build chemistry between themselves. Uh, I think they want to give new coaches, new new voices a chance to make those guys work because if they can work together uh, at a championship level, 
then you know you're not sacrificing a ton of assets um, to to get to the same uh, same place. You're also not shortening your window, which quite frankly you would be if you move Ben Simmons for James Harden. So, you know, I I think that they definitely want to take a couple of months unless something falls in their lap where it's no brainer, which would include Tobias Harris. Um, I think I think they're happy to wait. I'm glad, Jason. I'm glad you mentioned the whole. You know, people want to use the trade machine. Oh, on 2K, I made blah, blah, blah trade because I feel like so many times there's a lack of patience when it comes to the development of evolution. People act like these guys are just machines or robots. And these are human beings who, you know, they're not matured fully as human beings or basketball players. And I think that on some level, yes, we can be critical of Ben and Joel and Tobias, but it's also to be said with the fact that you got to give these guys an opportunity to, to evolve and grow into who they're going to be before you make a, a, a blanket assumption about who they are. Yeah, that's right. I think, I think we forget that, you know, Simmons is essentially the same age as to, uh, Matisse Thibault. And um, we think about him because he's been in the league for four years as uh, as a finished product. And, there's a lot of things, uh, a lot of things that he could do uh, with even without the, you know, the the obvious shooting, um, to uh, to really take his game to the next level. And um, at 23, 24 years old, there's just a ton of room for improvement. When you look at tonight, Sixers Celtics, and of course it's only preseason. What are you looking for the most? Like when you look at this team play tonight, what are you specifically looking at? Well, what concerns me, quite frankly, I think it's going to be an interesting atmosphere. You guys started at the top saying it was surreal. I mean, it is going to be surreal for us. Having really pivoted to Zoom calls since March um, and then going through the bubble experience where um, there was no fans and, and hardly any media, uh, we're going to be in an arena that is built for 20,000 people, and yet there's going to be you know, let's say there's a hundred people there tonight, right? And there's going to be staff, team team members, um, some operations staff, and a handful of media in a really big room versus a you know a ballroom in in Disney. So, I think the the space itself and the lack of energy is what I'm going to look at. The players themselves are going to have to manufacture that competitive spirit and that energy. And a guy like Joel Embiid who feeds off of the crowd so much, I want to see, does, does he have that internal um, energy that he brings to the game without them? Uh, he did it pretty well in the bubble. He was fantastically productive. Um, but I do think it's going to be an interesting vibe. I'm, I'm really fascinated to see it. Jason Blevins joining us here on the Boardwalk on the Hotline. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at jblevinsmba right here on 97.3 ESPN, 76ers Beat Reporter for 97.3 ESPN.com and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app. Jason, you mentioned the environment. I want to touch on that a little bit more with you because we talked a little bit about it earlier in the show. You know, I was watching some of Rachel Nichols' Instagram stories over the weekend. She was talking about how where she was set up at the Lakers game, how she felt like, you know, they have a little more space in the arena because there's nobody there and they're not as insulated because of the, you know, the, all the glass and all the masks and everything. But she mentioned the fact there's still a, a distinct separation for the media from the players. And 
How do you feel about the environment this is going to be like? Because in the past, you know, you get the press conferences. People can go in the locker room. There's there's a there's a shield for traditional access because of all these protocols. So how do you feel like that is going to be for someone like yourself who has covered this team so intensely and intimately of the last few years, and now there is almost like this invisible barrier going on? Yeah, I think it's a great point. I, I will say that normally our, our media uh, section is behind the basket, which um, which is close, but um, it's not the best for analyzing the game in the moment. Our seats, uh, they're, they're setting up tables really through mid-court uh, at the perfect sort of perfect vantage point for watching the game unfold. So I think there's going to be a positive there. But to your point about the the barriers, we're still going to be, you know, 50 feet away. There, there is no locker room. There's no off-the-record stuff. There is all of the little things that we rely on on the beat to give us indications of who's probably up and coming worth uh, getting minutes. Um, we don't have that. I, I was just talking to someone uh, an hour ago about Jonah Bolden, who I don't think is, has gotten an, an offer with, uh, with any other NBA teams. I'm not sure where Jonah is. And a couple of the other blue coats from last year have, have landed in, uh, in Europe. And I said about Jonah, you know, everyone knows I was not very high on Jonah. And the big reason was I was able to see Jonah off, off the floor, off camera, um, in practice situations. And, uh, you know, while he flashed at certain times in, in games, preseason, summer league, all of the off-the-court stuff didn't give you that sort of indication that he was really rising um, whereas Sheik Milton, for example, two years ago, you know, I was very excited about Sheik Milton as a rookie because of the maturity, because of the way he carried himself, the demeanor, his fluidity, and all of those things no one else would see because he wasn't getting any playing time in Philadelphia. It was in Delaware. It was in the locker room. It was in practice, you know. So those are the things that we don't get right now. So when if you wanted the same level of insight into a Tyrese Maxey or an Isaiah Joe. Right now, I can't give you that, that I would have been able to give you about Landry Shamit two, two seasons ago, for example, or even Matisse Thibault this time last year. That's a great point. That is something that these beat reporters are definitely missing out on as a whole, and it's very unfortunate. Hopefully one day it, it does get back to that. When looking at the court and what's going to be on the court, is there a projected starting five that you have? Is it as simple as Ben, Tobias, and Bede, and the other two being Seth Curry and Danny Green? Or do you think it's going to be more of a revolving door, Shake Milton, Matisse Thibault, depending on matchups? You know, I think tonight, I think you nailed what it'll be. Um, a, let's say a week ago or so, I would have I would have hesitated about Danny Green because he couldn't join the team until December 8th because of the, the con- contractual stuff with that trade. Um, but it, it sure seems like Doc's going to throw out his vets out there. Uh, they've had enough time to work with each other to gain some comfort. And what we're hearing about the 505s, Shake Milton, instead of being a starter, which I may have thought 10 days ago, he's, he's doing a lot of the backup point guard duties running the second team. 
So um, I think he'll start some games. I think he will come off the bench as the sixth man. I think he will certainly run the offense when Ben Simmons is on the bench. Um, he's the one that I think will vacillate between the starting lineup and the bench. And you could see maybe Seth Curry, um, you know, be the sixth man when, when Shake starts. That might be a matchup thing. Uh, Shake's a much larger player. He's six six five with a seven foot wingspan. Seth is a much smaller player. So, you know, for tonight, I think he probably throws his vets out there just to just to start on a good note. Remember Jason Blevins on Twitter at jblevinsmba. Sixers beat reporter for ninety seven three ESPN dot com. Check out his latest article on Mike Scott. Speaking of Mike Scott, I want to ask you, how do you think Doc is going to use the bench? Because we saw him when he was with the Clippers, with Boston, and then before that in Orlando. He's a guy who's not afraid to use his bench. And I think that for some people that might make them scratch some heads because people criticized Brett Brown, for example, for maybe using his bench too much. Whereas Doc is a guy who has always been unafraid to go deep in the rotation. I think I think Brett very much uh, coached to the spreadsheet. And what I mean is they, he got a lot of analytics um, from certain certain folks within the organization who said, you know, these are your best lineups, these are your best staggered minutes rotations, and he he followed that pretty closely. If you if you were to track uh, the minutes, you could predict within the first three weeks. You could pretty much predict, you know when Joel would come off the floor, when Ben would come off the floor, who was coming in in those spots. It, 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 it was pretty, pretty rigorous. Uh, I think my sense with Doc is he coaches much more around feel for the players. So what he's got is a, a deep bench of uh, utility players. Some guys can really shoot. And of that group of shooters, uh, he may ride the hot hand one night, so you might see a guy that comes in, makes his first couple of shots, and gets more playing time as a result uh, that night. Versus another night, you know, they might come out, the body language isn't right. Like Mike Scott, you mentioned, the body language was virtually never right last last uh, season for him. He he never looked comfortable on the floor. I think Doc would, would get him out. Now, I think Doc is spending a lot of time trying to make people comfortable in their role. And it seems like so far Mike is more comfortable than he was last year. I think, I think it's going to be a feel thing uh, when it comes to those, those bench guys. How efficient do you believe a pick-and-roll game between Ben and Joel Embiid can be? Is that the difference in this team taking the next step? I don't. Uh, honestly, I, I don't know. I, if you really just think about it, um, you know, Joel's not a great, not a great screen setter. He has a he has a huge um, presence. Uh, he's also not super quick as a role man. So, I think it, I think it can work. I wouldn't make it the staple of an offense. You know, any defense is going to try to cover those guys with two big guys and switch on the or go under the screen. So it just because Ben can't really space the floor, it just doesn't put a lot of pressure, I think, on a defense when you run the two of them in a pick and roll. So to me, you know, they may run it a few times to keep people honest, but I certainly don't expect it to be a staple of the offense. 
He's Jason Blevins. Make sure you follow him on Twitter for all your Sixers and NBA coverage. Jay Blevins NBA. Check out his work over at 97.3 ESPN.com. He will be in the house tonight for Sixers' first game back in the Wells Fargo Center. Preseason action. Coverage begins at 7.30 tonight on 97.3 ESPN. Jason, always appreciate the time and have fun tonight. Hey, thanks, guys. Have a good one. Josh heading along with Hunter Brody here on 97.3 ESPN. We covered a lot of ground there with Jason. One thing that stood out to me he talked about is, I love what he said that Doc is going to have more of a feel while Brett kind of stuck to the spreadsheet. I think it tells you a lot about the differences in the coaching mindsets, whereas one guy said, analytics says I should do this. Doc is maybe a little bit less analytically driven, shall we say. I hate to do this because it does feel like no matter what team we're talking about, it, it ends up in this conversation. But how much power did Brett Brown have to say, I don't want to use these analytics? Because I do feel like there were a lot of people involved up at the top when it comes to this organization over the last handful of years, whether it was Joshua Harris himself whether it was Scott O'Neill, whether it was Rucker. There were a lot of names being thrown around that had too much impact on what was happening. I, I just wonder, was he forced to use the analytics? And now they realized, maybe we went too far. Let's allow Doc to have more freedom. And I think part of that also is because, don't forget, you went from Hinky to Colangelo to the triumvirate of people in charge to now Daryl Morey, right? So... I have to wonder how much of the stuff we saw going on with what we saw on the court was a reflection of maybe some of the amoeba chaos in the background because you're talking about Hinky and Colangelo, two completely different philosophies when it comes to building basketball teams. And then you had that where Brett Brown was kind of in charge, but he wasn't in charge. And Elton Brand came in, but no one's really sure. Like you said, it was Alec Rucker, is it Mark Everly? Who's really in charge? Nobody knows. And now there's a definitive hierarchy of who's in charge, what's going on, delineation, etc. And I have to wonder how much of what Brett Brown was doing was really Brett, as you said, how much is Brett being told kind of with the, with the Eagles stuff? You know, is Doug being told to do these things? Is Howie Roseman really have the final say? Is Howie Roseman not drafting some of these guys? Who knows? Tune in tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. That's what it does feel like, though. I mean, I'm not giving Brett a free pass. His time was up. He had a long run here. What he did, you know, a lot of coaches don't do to stay in one place that long. And keep in mind, he had a philosophy when he first came here to lose on purpose and things of that nature. But, you know, you just don't know who was running the 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 whole entire franchise towards the end there because it was ugly and there was a reason why they went out and got Daryl Morey. They knew internally that there were mistakes happening and it's easy to point the finger at Brett Brown with rotations. You know, you know how many times people got so pissed off with the time Joel Embiid would leave a game. What was it? Six minutes in, he would automatically go to the bench, this and that. Well, there were a lot of reports about the numbers were telling them what to do with the rotation, this and that. Well, you know what? I think that there was something to be said about that, and that's why they acquired Daryl Morey. But he's an analytic guy, too. But he also stated in his initial presser that I don't have a system, and then I force players to use that system. We look at the team, and we adapt from there. That's what leaves me optimistic. He's Hunter Brody. I'm Josh Hennick here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Of course, the text board is open, 609-403-097. We'll get your text a little bit next hour. The morning stuff, we got football next hour. A lot of basketball this hour, a lot of football next hour. We got football at 4 and Checo for another day. I want to get into more with him about 
you know, maybe looking ahead, what's next, right? You and Mike talked to him a lot about, okay, what was the game? Well, what's next? We got to start moving forward now because guess what? Hurts is the starter again, and now you're playing a completely different team in the Cardinals. So we'll get to that with the check coming up next. Also, John Clayton, he's got his latest article up over at the Washington Post. We'll get into that with him about six players who will have the biggest impact on that race. And you might be surprised some of the names on this list. Some of them you might not be. One of them is an eagle. The sixth guy is a Philadelphia eagle. I'm stunned. Don't tell the people, though. I won't. Little you, tease. You thought I was just going to blur it out? Oh, no. Come on. I'm oh, experienced no. here. I know what a tease is. I can sense it a mile away. Can you? Yeah. Don't mind me. I'm a, I'm a little uh, space cadet today, so. Head's not fully here. Distractions. Life. You know, but I'm, I'm giving my best for the people today. You're doing a hell of a job. If you say so. I mean, Jeff Nadu said I'm doing a good job, so I must be doing something right. 